Join over 5,000 attendees for the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, June 5th and 6th, 2024. Edward Snowden, Benedict Evans, Balaji Srinivasan, and over 150 others will hit the stage, joining the industry's most influential to explore and unveil the next wave of transformative AI technologies. Singapore will become a vibrant AI hub for a full week from June 3rd to the 9th, with over 150 side events that will make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Visit superai.com for 20% off tickets with the code REALVISION. Look for the link in the description. Is the Fed's plan finally working? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Gio Chen, author of Fidenza Macro Research. Hey, Gio. Welcome back. Hey, Maggie. Thanks. It's great to see you. So um, if we look at the action today, the stock rally that roared through November has kind of stalled here this first week of December. The down S&P um, a little bit lower today. NASDAQ a little bit higher at last check. Um, but, you know, no no real moves, um, Russell down. Uh, and that despite the fact that the Treasury yield dipped below 4.2%, uh, and then Bitcoin really stealing the show, continuing to charge higher, briefly topping 44000 before settling back. So a lot to unpack here. Let's start with the economy. Um, the move lower in Treasury yields, partly triggered by uh, headlines that cross that job openings fell by more than expected in October. We seem to be getting this sort of steady drumbeat now of accelerating weakness, if you could say that, at least in some indicators. What's your assessment of the U.S. economy, Geo? Has the Fed managed to, to get that slow down, to slow things down and get inflation moving lower? Yeah, it does, definitely seems like we've reached an inflection point in the economy where the numbers are getting consistently softer, especially in employment, which is what the Fed wants to see. And we have seen this Fed speakers come out and almost pat themselves in the back and acknowledge the softer numbers and, and say that their, um, you know, their goals and in inflation are being met. And we're actually going to be below the Fed's September projections on inflation. Uh, well, likely going to be below uh, coming into December. So they're ahead of schedule. Uh, and it definitely feels like they are in the pilot seat. They're in control of the economy. And I think it's going to remain that way for a while as inflation continues to trend lower. So the market sentiment has been the minute they see that, they kind of immediately go to cuts. And they've priced in quite a few for 2024. Um, we're going to get a Fed meeting in December uh, where they're going to have a chance to be able to kind of, you know, think about their messaging. Um, okay, so things are slowing and that's great, but are they? Are, does it look like they're going to be able to hit that soft landing or sort of moderate slowing? Or are we headed for something steeper and potentially more painful that would warrant talk of rate cuts? Yeah, I do think that... Um, we're very likely to get a recession. And the question is how deep and how long and whether the Fed is going to be able to, to you know, put the bottom in and, and keep it from getting um, too deep. 
So for now, it seems like the Fed is in control. Like they have a lot of room to cut. Um, and there's also a lot of dry powder out there in money market funds, about 6 trillion. It's gone up since COVID by about 1 trillion. Um, so there's a lot of cash on the sidelines ready to, to buy the zip and, and risk assets and, and help keep sentiment supported. So as long as we don't get some kind of unexpected exogenous event like COVID, I think uh, the, the recession is going to be pretty mild. And as long as the, the market believes the Fed is in control, bad news should continue to be good news for the market. Mm. Do you think the Fed is going to want to, AJ asking, do you think this Fed meeting could be a nothing burger? I mean, it kind of feels like that, especially as you get to this time of year, because as long as things are steady, nobody really wants to mess it up, right? But do you think the Fed's preference would be to really try to message that they want to stay here and keep their powder dry until they figure out what's going on? Because we we still don't know the sort of lag effects of all the tightening and on the flip side, you know, the resilience of the U.S. economy, everyone's kind of gotten that wrong. So does the Fed, would the Fed prefer that the market not get ahead of itself again on, on this idea of rate cuts? How do you think they're going to handle that balance? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, for, you know, of course, we have the dots coming up. Mm -hmm. And the last dots in September were really hawkish. And now the Fed is, uh, now the market is pricing in, you know, almost uh, five rate cuts for 2004, uh, 2024. And it's hard to see the dots getting to that level to go from, you know, 50 basis points all the way down to, um, you know, 100, 100 or 125 basis points. Um, so that's a risk for the market that could certainly trigger a bit of a pullback. But on the other hand, the fact that the Fed is ahead of schedule in getting inflation down, um, that's positive. And, you know, we've had a bunch of Fed speakers come out and, and speak out on the dovish side. Now, I don't think that would have happened without Powell's endorsement. So, um, you know, we, we could get a combination of maybe hawkish dots that are not really moving down to, to meet the market, but some uh, pretty, you know, mild or, or dovish sentiment um, and dovish enough to, to keep the market going. Yeah, kind of split that difference, right? <laughs> yeah. And then we're all left figuring out, do we listen to what they say or do we look at the, the dots to see, you know, which is going to come out on top? So in this environment now, we're, we're, you know, the Fed's done, everyone seems convinced. Now it's a question of when do they ease, not that concern about, interest rates, which really plagued the market through 23. So, you know, in terms of this investment landscape, let's walk through how you're thinking about some of these assets. And I'm curious in this disinflationary regime now, um, how you think about bonds. Um, would you be buying bonds here? I mean, this is the trade that killed everyone in 23, right? That trying to yeah. sort of time that bond trade and then rates ratcheted back up again. You know, people got their face handed to them. Um, so there's, I think, probably a little bit of reticence or there's a little fear in there, but would you be buying bonds here? And if so, you know, what kind of duration are you looking at? Yeah, you know, um, earlier this year, I was bearish in bonds due to um, 
just to hire for longer regime and all the supply that was coming on. Um, and, and since then, they've, they've reversed pretty dramatically, both the long end and the short end. Uh, you know, pretty recently, I, th I think the conditions were met for, for durable bond recovery. Um, there's a wide consensus that, that the Fed is now done, uh, even though they haven't outright gone out and said that they're done. Um, but the, the economy is weakening enough for, for them to kind of just, you know, be on hold for a while and for the next move to, to be a cut. So, um, you know, I, I think, I think bonds are going to do well over the course of the next year, because if inflation goes down to, to 2% or even lower, I mean, we might even see a one handle in, in, in inflation, um, this coming year, then, then the fed is going to have to cut in order to keep policy, um, you know, at the same level of, of tightness. Mm. So, um, you know, if employment is, is kind of ratcheting up to four and a half percent, do you really want to have, uh, fed funds at, let's say 300 basis points above inflation by, by mid-year, uh, which is very well where, where it could end up. Uh, you, you don't, you, you don't want to be in that situation. So I, I think they're going to have to cut at some point. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I know you're looking at the U.S. versus Europe, and this is a this is something that's come up with others as well. Where is the U.S. slowdown versus Europe? And you have buns on your radar. T talk to us about that. Yeah, that's right. It's um, it's interesting because Europe and, and the German economy are are kind of one to two quarters ahead of the U.S. in terms of their their journey on um, coming coming down from inflation and into disinflation. So inflation is is coming down a lot faster. And what's interesting is that you know even though the Fed is still going to be uh, I, the Treasury is going to be spending a lot of money next year um, and supporting the economy. But Germany, they, they just discovered a 60 billion hole in their budget uh, from, from a recent German constitutional court ruling saying that they can't, uh, 60 billion that they thought they could spend can't actually be spent. So mm -hmm. that's going to put a big hole in their, in their fiscal spending. And that's going to slow the, the economy down a lot. And um, as you know, if you could see in slide one, um, Germany's fiscal uh, fiscal deficit is going to actually get cut by a lot more, and, and they're actually going to be, you know, close to close, close to to flat in terms of their deficit over the next few years. Um, so that fiscal tailwind is is probably the the smallest in Germany that that it is in other European countries as well as the U.S. Uh, and that also means there's going to be less supply of bonds too, which, as as we know, is is pretty important. So you have this, you know, dual tailwind of, of uh, you know, not too much uh, supply in boons as well as, uh, you know, slower slower growth due to fiscal headwinds. Mm. Do you think the ECB starts cutting before the Fed? 
Yeah, I think it's it's quite likely. Um, they're a little bit more more balanced in terms of how they're in, in terms of their determination to 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 fight inflation. And more balanced than the Fed. Um, so I think if given the opportunity, if given the excuse to cut, they they certainly will. Yeah, it's interesting because they have, you know, they have to sort of, you know, this has always been the difficulty that manage so many different regional economies. So while they might want to cut based on what you just described in Germany, you know, can, will they be able to based on the readings coming in from everywhere else? It's always the, the, the tricky thing for them. So uh, great question from Dan. Uh, if yields, and we're back to talking U.S., if yields decline, which I think we've established, we expect that to happen because of a recession, will that impact stocks negatively? Can stocks and bonds both rally? <laughs> well, they certainly have been. They have been, been, but can they continue? On. Because I think yeah. you know this is what everyone's saying. If yields are rally, if yields are moving lower, bond prices rallying, it's because there's a recession coming, but is that good for stocks? Yeah. Um, you know, over the past year, we've, we've had this back and forth between disinflation and stagflation. So stocks and bonds going up at the same time, and then stocks and bonds going down at the same time. Um, I do think that now that we are a lot closer to the Fed's target, this, uh, this period of disinflation can be a little bit more durable. Um, especially now that the the employment picture is at an inflection point, um, so so to you know to answer the question, I, I do th- think that they can keep going as long as the market believes that the Fed is still in control. That whatever happens, you know, whatever weak data comes out, uh, can you know can be, uh, I, I guess, is can be supported by by further you know Fed Fed easing. Mm. And if it's a shallow, this is why that soft landing is the unicorn, right? Because if it's a shallow recession, um, then that the economy is still holding up, even though rates are going down. That's a good scenario for corporations, especially anyone who has to hit the capital markets again with those lower interest rates. So you could see how through in that kind of environment, um, with a supportive Fed and an economy that's weakening but not falling out of bed, that could be a good scenario. So we, we've seen this sort of stalling of the rally, not surprising given how fast and far we came in November. I mean, it's such a powerful rally. Do you, f- and, and by the way, for those of you listening last week, you'll remember most of our analysts were warning of this sort of period of indigestion or consolidation based on the fact that things had kind of maybe overshot. Do you feel like they're going to the U.S. equities can regain momentum here into year end, Geo? I think a lot is going to depend on the data coming up, as well as the Fed meeting. Mm. Uh, so we have the uh, employment number, the CPI, and the Fed meeting all within the space of a week or so, um, and that's going to determine the direction for for the market. I I do think. Uh, I believe the seasonals for for equities start to turn quite positive in mid December, uh, so that could be a tailwind. Um, so so we'll see. Yeah, I, AJ, I think that answers your number. Yes, non farm payrolls will be mm-hmm. will be very important, uh, and 
Um, you know, everything now, it's not just directionally, it's how much things are either weakening or surprising on the upside that I think is going to matter, especially in the run-up to the Fed. So um, wanted to make sure that we um, touched on Bitcoin because this is also on your radar. I mean, it's on everyone's radar because it's been rallying so strongly, especially at a time when we've seen some sideways action in a lot of these other markets. Um, we've seen Bitcoin really breaking out. Uh, what, what do you make of this and what are you watching there? Yeah, um, you know, sentiment really got bombed out this year uh, to the point where it just couldn't go down, you know, regardless of a lot of negative events for crypto. Um, and now we have this BlackRock ETF, um, the speculation that it's going to go through. Um, everyone I've spoken to and, you know, a lot of the research I've done seems to point in, in that direction. And just today, it looks like BlackRock filed an amendment um, in their S1 with the SEC, which, which seems to signal that the process is moving along. Um, so that's, that's going to be a catalyst and, and a bit of an upside magnet for, for Bitcoin. Um, and then we have the halving coming up as well in the first half of, of next year. So we ha have these two really positive catalysts for, for Bitcoin coming up. Um, and on top of all that, the, the global macro conditions for, for Bitcoin and crypto in general to, to go up have, have been restored in the sense that you know, we, we really needed the, the Fed to, to stop tightening and we needed some, some kind of clarity on, on when the tightening cycle was going to end. So now we're finally getting that. And so the, 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 um, the, the pace of financial conditions has, has gone from, you know, accelerated tightening to almost a accelerated loosening over the course of the last couple of months. Yeah. So do you, in your mind, does Bitcoin trade in correlation with risk assets still, or is it, is it sort of taking on a new dynamic, especially with that ETF coming? Yeah, it's, um, you know, so I, I, I wrote a piece in my last, um, in, in my blog, kind of comparing gold to, to Bitcoin and gold actually leads Bitcoin by you know, anywhere from like one to to uh, seven months. And, and, and that's because gold tends to be a lot more sensitive to financial conditions. So as we know, like gold is now close to the highs, uh, trading very, very strongly. And, um, you know, based on seasonals, you can see here in the first column, it could very well continue higher into January and into mid-Feb. And uh, that's a strong signal for, for Bitcoin, is telling the market that the, the conditions are right for Bitcoin to keep going. So what, what I was saying is that, you know, monetary conditions um, kind of create the green light for, for Bitcoin. And then it's, it's the market's um, predictions of, of further adoption um, and, and the size, you know, the growth of, this, of the network that drives the, the bull market higher. So we have the conditions and then we have the, um, the you know, upcoming approval of the ETF, which is gonna drive adoption to higher and uh, kind of solidify Bitcoin as, as a, you know, as an institutional asset. Mm. So we, we have all the ingredients for, for a new bull market. 
Yeah. So interesting. We had Peter Brandt on the platform. I mentioned it yesterday. I'm just going to reiterate it for those who uh, didn't catch that. Um, he is on our show, Three Ideas, and one of his picks is Bitcoin. He made some very bullish calls. Um, as you know, Peter is a really, really longtime veteran technician. He walks through his different charts to, to underscore his reasoning behind that. If you have not watched the episode, I highly recommend you do. If you are on YouTube and you are not a full Real Vision member, go to the website and jump on one of our offers so you can see that Peter interview as well as take advantage of the crypto academy that we just launched to help educate everyone around this new cycle. It's learn the mistakes of the past and be smart about it this time. And Gio, one of the things that Peter pointed out is this is an asset that moves unlike other assets, like parabolic moves. Um, we also know based on what happens in the past that there's volatility around this. So do you approach this differently than other asset classes? Do you look for sort of protection? How, how do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I so that that was a great episode, and um, you know, I, I think Peter has some great insights to the market. I I also follow him as, as well, and the cyclical nature of of crypto is extremely powerful because when you uh, you know when when people get in at the bottom of the cycle, the the, the returns are just like unlike anything any other asset. But then if you get in at the top of the cycle, it can be completely, I mean, you can just get completely wrecked. And I, I believe it's cyclical because it's a very psychological asset class. Mm. Like it just, it, it trades very emotionally and, and, and humans just go through, you know, all, all the cycles of, of like, you know, euphoria down to despair and, and, and back again. But what, what underlies the cycle is, the constant growth and development that that happens, you know, in crypto, uh, in in Bitcoin, and and that's what kind of makes the the um, you know every cycle reach a new like a higher high and, and higher low. Yeah, no, that's really well put, and and you know it's important to sort of arm yourself with information and learn about this. One of the things I love Peter talking about is the fact that. You know, I'm, Raul actually introduced him to it and he looked at it. But, you know, we have a lot of people who just say, oh, I don't, you know, I don't understand that stuff. But he dove in and was paying attention and experimenting and really trying to wrap his head around it. And it is different. Listen, com some commodities move like this as well. So, and it's a brand new market, right? So we all, we're all on a learning curve, um, but it's really fascinating and wild. So I, I hope that everyone keeps an open mind and, and dives in as we all do to try to watch this really sort of interesting development. What about traditional gold? So you're bullish Bitcoin. Um, what about traditional gold? Are you do you feel like that's going to break out because it had that moment and then now it's sort of I think sitting at this resistance level, everybody wants to see if it can make that run higher now. Yeah, it's been an interesting week for gold. Um, it kind of painted an ugly candle on on Monday, having broken out to all-time high and then reversed pretty violently back. Uh, but what's interesting now is that it, it tends to follow real yields and uh, it's, right now it's trading pretty cheap relative to real yields. Real yields right now are are at the low for the cycle, uh, whereas gold is well off the highs. So I do think that gold is going to kind of find find the bottom uh, soon. And, and, you know, the next time it reaches that 
that to uh, 2070 level in, in, in spot, I, I do think it's going to run. So uh, the the t the seasonal is also start to turn very positive in mid December. So I'm looking at that as long as long as the the numbers and the Fed kind of play ball, then I you know I think gold is going to keep rallying. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. We've got some great questions in here, so I want to make sure I get to them. And of course, um, a lot of our viewers know that you join us from Singapore, so they're very curious to get your thoughts on China. Moody's cut China's credit outlook to negative today. I mean, it's a rating agency, some people... I wonder whether that really matters, but okay, they did it. Um, but there does seem to be growing concern about the government's policies in terms of dealing with the debt and slowing economy. We had Paul Hodges on yesterday. He was very bearish about the situation in China. What, what are you seeing? What's the talk over there, Gio? Um, uh, Ched asking, um, can you give us any insight into when you think China might uh, trigger the expecting massive liquidity pump? to mitigate their economic crisis? You know, will they come in and stimulate? Um, with the US dollar drifting lower, seems like an opportunity for China to do more cowbell with crashing yuan and help pump things up, maybe pump crypto. I'm not sure that connection, but anyway, give us your, give us your thoughts on what, that, what that's all yeah. about. Yeah, the, you know, China has been really hitting that cowbell, but nobody's listening. The market's not listening. Um, mm. That's but what's worrying. interesting, yeah, the what's interesting is that the data has been surprising to the upside as well. So I think there's a disconnect between mm -hmm. the the stimulus and the economic data and the market, and I think at some point that disconnect is going to resolve itself, um, and, and to the upside in the market. Now I, I I've heard that there's probably a lot of tax, tax loss selling going through, which could be why it's depressing the market so much. Um, but if Chinese indices suddenly rip in the new year, I, I would not be surprised. Uh, so this is something you know I've been looking at for my own portfolio. Very interesting. So um, that answers your question, OTDE Dgen, because he's asking, will China ever be a buy? The HSI is in free fall. So you think you think China is stronger than people think, or you just think that the Chinese are willing to pump liquidity in to see if they can make a difference? Um, I think China is not as weak as sentiment mm. uh, says it is. And and yeah, so I, I think there's the stabilization of, of the data, which is a good sign, and it's not being priced into the market. I, I think sentiment is is more, you know, more bombed out than I've ever seen it in my career. Yeah, which which you know when when it when that's the case, you always t sit up and take notice. Very interesting. So um, want to squeeze another one in here? What's your view? Trillionex asking, what's your view on? Euro dollar and um, dollar yen. Yeah, so euro dollar is interesting because you have, you know, as I said earlier, like the European economy is probably slowing faster than the U.S. So because of that, like 
you know, that should be bearish for Europe. But at the same time, the disinflationary trend in the U.S. Uh, is going to have a pretty powerful effect on the dollar too. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I do think that what what's going to end up happening is that is that the effect on the U.S. dollar is going to is going to slightly outweigh, and we're going to have a uh, you know probably a grind higher in, in euro dollar. Um, as for dollar yen, that mostly follows U.S. yields. So uh, if, you know, if inflation does go down, like I believe it will, and if the Fed cuts, then dollar yen should be lower, uh, you know, next year. Yeah, that's so interesting that you said that about the euro, because if I'm not mistaken, Dale, we had Dale Pinkerton, I believe is the one who pointed out the same thing. It's just the momentum for the dollar bear trade is going to be stronger. Stronger euro, not good for Germany or not good for Europe, whose economy is weakening and, you know, any attempt to sort of help out on the export front, that's sort of an added, neg- potentially an added negative for Europe, isn't it? Yeah, it, it certainly is weakening. And, you know, if you look at um, my slide three, uh, unemployment in Germany is closer to the post-COVID high than it is to the cycle low. Uh, which is, you know, quite quite striking, um, and you know, it's it's, it's not going to get better un- until until we see the global economy trough and the ECB cuts rates and comes to the rescue. So, um, I, I do think that, you know, what the scenario we might see is that euro uh, weakens on the on the FX crosses, um, but strengthens against the dollar. Mm. Yeah, interesting. So if we if we sort of wrap things up, Gio, what do you feel most convicted about here as you're looking at this turn into 24? Yeah, so um, you know, I've mostly been looking at right tail trades, um, betting on on disinflation. So um, and and because you know crypto cycles could be quite powerful at I, I'm I'm positive on both crypto and equities, but I do think that the the juice really is in crypto right now. Um, so I've been you know looking at calls on crypto related equities um, as as kind of those right tail like uh, uh, lottery ticket style um, return profiles. Um, <laughs> And I, it I, tells everybody everything they need to know about whether it's right for their risk profile. So I'm glad you said it that way. Yeah. Um, and also, one, one interesting thing is the regional bank ETF, KRE, hmm. it has been beaten down after the Silicon Valley Bank incident. Um, but if the Fed starts to cut next year, what we're going to get is a, a re-steepening of the curve. So, you know, banks got hit because we, we saw a, a massive... Um, bear market in bonds and and a deep inversion. So um, I I think the reverse of that is going to happen in 2024, which means this should be really supportive for for KRE. So as long as the economy doesn't fall out of bed um, and and we don't get some kind of like banking crisis, then this should all be very, very positive for KRE. 
at some point. So that's going to be that's going to be music to the ears of some people, certainly who are very concerned about that. Gio, it was so great to catch up with you. What a fantastic conversation! Thank you so much. Yeah, it's good to chat again. Yeah, absolutely. Always great to get the view. Um, and we always appreciate you getting up because it's basically the middle of the night, um, but but we appreciate it. Thanks so much. And um, so so interesting, glad, glad to really get that sort of full conversation about Bitcoin and have you share your thoughts on that. We are doing a, a, crypto, a live crypto academy. It's not exactly a festival of learning, but it's sort of a live academy. We're going to do two days next week, everybody. So keep your eyes out and we'll keep you posted. Um, bringing as much information as we can, since it's it's getting on a lot of people's list for their for their top trade as we turn the year. So we're going to dig into it. But Gio, thanks so much. And if we don't speak to you before the holidays, have a wonderful one and happy new year. Yeah, happy holidays to you too. Thanks so much. Thanks everybody. We'll be back same time tomorrow. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. Join over 5,000 attendees for the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, June 5th and 6th, 2024. Edward Snowden, Benedict Evans, Balaji Srinivasan, and over 150 others will hit the stage, joining the industry's most influential to explore and unveil the next wave of transformative AI technologies. Singapore will become a vibrant AI hub for a full week from June 3rd to the 9th, with over 150 side events that will make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Visit superai.com for 20% off tickets with the code REALVISION. Look for the link in the description.